Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Edge and Flow podcast. This is TJ Schwartz. I'm sitting here with Lucas Burnley. Not actually sitting here with you, but close four enough. hours from you. Um, wonderful technology helping us out. But we're <laughs> going to talk more about what we always talk about, which is knife making and the giant kaleidoscope of topics that kind of uh, are born out of knife making talks. Yeah. The ecosystem. Yeah. Man, it's expansive. Mm-hmm. That's pretty so, good. Holidays are coming up. So I know we're always patchy, but we may also continue to be patchy through the holidays with the publishing of episodes. True. But we'll hang we'll see. I think we got, I think we got two more in us for this year. I mm-hmm. really want to do a, like a year in review kind of yeah. recap mm-hmm. carrying into a uh, fresh start in 2024 and like what yeah. we're excited about. Uh, but I have, I have something that I've kind of been like chomping at the bit to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, consider this a uh, unpaid advertisement for the <laughs> CAD course. Um, a little bit of backstory. So uh, I had surgery on my ankle and had some screws removed. That means that I've been in a boot, uh, walking boot for the last two weeks. And the first week of that basically was like not load bearing. Um, you had just released the CAD course and I had been kind of like, here and there watching the videos. I decided that the way to make the most use of my time was to do just like a real focused deep dive. Um, my relationship with fusion 360 has been tumultuous. Um, I, I think I'm one of like the first knife maker. I don't know that this is true, but this just like what I saw on social media. And like when I see people talking about, it, I think I was one of the first knife makers to kind of like stumble across fusion 360. And for some reason it instantly was attractive to me. The issue is that was five years ago. And I am just now at a point with, I think like just the culmination of a few situations that it actually is now a tool in my toolbox. And yeah. so I figured I wanted to do two things. I wanted to like give you feedback on h- how I'm using the course and like where the value is and also a couple things I'd like to see. I also kind of just want your feedback to like story-wise like did I bring fusion to you? Um I don't remember what brought fusion into my sphere of influence. Uh, obviously I've been a SolidWorks guy for a long time. I did download it a long time ago though. It might've been like seven years ago, oh, so, but okay. I also You're never it. used it. Yep. Um, and so it's only the last 36 months basically that I've started using fusion heavily. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that maybe that is the case. Like, your reason for not using Fusion initially was you had a software that essentially did a similar thing that you had have a level of mastery with. Mm-hmm. I would guess that there are a lot of makers that, like me, had kind of a piece together CAD CAM skill set, right? It's not like school based. You learned it from a friend. You have like mm-hmm. you know you're you're making it work. The jump to Fusion 360, I think for a lot of us, was vast. I know 
like pretty early on, I had talked to a few guys that were like, oh yeah, like I, I'm using it for like modeling and cam, but like I can't draw on it. Now I understand why, which is constraints. Mm -hmm. If you are coming from a system that is not constraint based, it's like essentially trying to do things in a completely different language. At least that was my experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In in SolidWorks, and I have no I have no familiarity with SolidWorks, it is constraint based, like similar to that. Yeah. Or heavily uses constraints. Yeah. Yeah. As far as what you're referring to being like the sketches and the way yeah. that the lines are laid out. Yeah. It's basically the same. Um the there's a few little nuances, but like I feel like Fusion definitely looked over SolidWorks' shoulder when they were doing some development. Yeah. I know Autodesk has a storied history, so it's probably goes both ways. But right. yeah, they're very similar. Very right. similar. Well, when when Fusion like first came out, I mean it because Autodesk has Inventor, right? Yeah. And I I don't quote me on this, but Autodesk used to have almost complete control over the 3D CAD game, like parametric modeling. Right. And SolidWorks was the new kid on the block, like in the 2000s. Uh, I don't know exactly when the transition happened, but in 2012, when I was studying SolidWorks in college, they were telling me that they had just seen SolidWorks in industry take over the reins from Autodesk. And so this is like more of a comeback story from Autodesk oh, that they developed Fusion. Yeah. So it's like season two of Autodesk. It's it's interesting for sure. Strategically, it was it's a really interesting move to me. Because when I saw it, I was like, okay. The price point was like just insane. I mean, and I think it's like if you make under a hundred thousand dollars a year, I think you can still get a full seat for free. Mm-hmm. That's that's a pretty yeah. heavy discount from like anything, right? Mm-hmm. Free. Um, but what I saw was that it was that shift from like large scale manufacturing and engineering into what we're essentially doing. Yeah. That's what it seemed. I mean, that's what it seemed like the software was designed for from the get go. Yeah. It was like when Ducati released the Scrambler. Yeah, it's like and it's it's really they're tearing a page out of Adobe's book. If you mm-hmm. if you have been a f- like a videographer or a Photoshop guy before, you remember the days not very long ago, like five years ago, where you had to buy Photoshop for like six hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. and You just got like the current version. And uh, and it was the same for all the Adobe apps. And then they did, you know, Adobe Cloud, the Adobe Cloud base. And now it's all subscription. And so you're it feels like you're paying a lot less feel like eventually right. with those you eventually pay more but fusion it's like it's just kind of the future of software sure is. i guess like yeah there's like an amortization schedule like there's yeah. a point where you've paid more than you would for a seat but you're yeah. also on the most current exactly. updates and everything else yeah i don't know fusion. Th- that's a that's a good point too what what were you gonna say about fusion i was just gonna say uh in the case of fusion versus adobe Fusion is going to be cheaper than SolidWorks, full stop, end of story. No matter yeah. how long you pay for it, it's going to be right. cheaper. Right. Because yeah. you're not paying like, yeah, you're not paying like your update fees and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, like looking at it from just I, like a business culture standpoint where like tying it into Adobe. The shifts like are there are some that are like generational shifts where it's automatically like they're not pitching it to probably Boeing. Mm-hmm. 
You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, who's probably using SolidWorks? Yeah. You know, it's t- It's like slowly, it like rolled out at a time where everyone's using social media. Cloud base is like getting more popular. Even to take a, a, like you said, like take a page out of Adobe's book. I think the awareness that like this type of engineering is maybe like also tied into closer to like photography, Photoshop, you know, graphic design, whatever. I think there, it's just an interesting, like amalgamation for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Um, so I came, yeah, I came to you and like, guys a couple years ago now and just basically asked you to tutor me in fusion 360, which at that point you were not using. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just and, beginning barely. And that was kind of like where that was that was where I started to finally at least make like a little bit of uh like headway with it. But what was it basically we did we did similar to what you're doing in the CAD course, except I took notes the whole time. And so first like the first big paradigm shift for me was like I think since we had done that, I had forced myself to do a couple of projects. But like simple, like the turn, the turn was the first knife that I actually fully designed inside of Fusion 360. And I realize now that there's there were still issues with the way that I created the drawings and the model. Right. Just from like a process standpoint. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to the like two weeks ago. I sit down and the first thing I do is I just binge all of the videos. Mm -hmm. Okay, like first pass. And then what I do is pull up dual screen and I basically just start aping your process. Um, I did something kind of weird, which was I didn't want to focus on anything that I had to design. So I pulled in an old model from uh, like an old Rhino file. This is like the first (laughs) spent probably like three or four days modeling it, sent it to you, and then instantly realized that it was like trash. I, if if you're gonna go the route of like learning a new program, I highly recommend going blank canvas. Even if even if it's not a a finished product goal that you're shooting for, just like. Because I've I have found like what you just especially when you're transferring something from a different software, yeah. like the odds of calamity ensuing and like just process errors is it's just super difficult. I knew it. I knew it going in, but again, it wasn't. I needed to like it, the way that my brain works. I needed to compartmentalize. If I was trying to design something, I would. I I know that I would have been frustrated. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't flowing in like the creative design aspect or the productive like engineering aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. And and to just to explain like what happened, basically brought in an old Rhino model. There were splines in it. And so Fusion picked it up, but it wasn't something that was like controllable. Instead of like arcs, it was mm-hmm. it was um spline segments. Okay. So at the end of that, I basically did the same thing and I did it 
I think I've done it like three or four times now. And I, I actually did do another model that I brought in and tweaked again, but purely because I wanted to force myself to understand where, where the flaws were and how to correct them. So my, the process was I did, I did one knife. I modeled that was the, the strafe didn't work out right. Trashed it, did a completely new design, but based on, uh, based on the Kihon. So I did it basically a Kihon fixed blade. I brought the Kihon fixed blade drawing into fusion, but only as a sketch, like an initial, like a, like a baseline sketch. Mm-hmm. At the end of that project, I went and I ran 3D prints and I think I sent you a message right away. And it's like, it literally feels like somebody opened like a magic portal in front of me. It's a cool feeling. I don't know how to explain it. And like Mm -hmm. somebody's going to hear this and they're going to get it because the paradigm shift. I don't know like how many X improvement this is to the process. Mm -hmm. And if you have, if you don't have a process that is like multi-stage where you're like, okay, I'm going to like, I'm going to draw in Rhino and then I'm going to like carry this into like my cam software. And then, Oh, I need to make a change. And I'm going to go back. It literally, it feels like magic. Mm -hmm. So it is is magic. It man, it kind of (laughs) is magic. Well, and it's, it's crazy because this, this ties into something else for me, which like over the last couple of years I've dealt with, which is around around learning and like the executive function issues that I have. There's a lot of things that aren't linear. So the reality is I over the course of time that I've wanted to learn fusion, I've learned like bits and pieces. I could just never put them together enough to like bridge the gap. It was like everything just snapped into place. It was wild. That's amazing. Yeah, you were sending me updates and I could see the rate of development that you were going through. It looked impressive. And I think it's cool that you had, I mean, obviously it sucks that you were in a boot, but it's kind of cool when you have a constraint in in the real world like that, that just kind of forces you to be focused on something that otherwise seems less important than the things you're doing. Yeah. Um, It's, it's a great state of mind to be in. So glad it 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 worked for you. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, when you think like, I mean, that's, that's a lot of the, that's not setbacks, but if you're wanting to advance something, the things that are urgent, they're going to affect the things that are important. Unless you just keep like a very consistent process of being like allowing yourself to still focus on things that are, that are important over a consistent timeline while dealing with emergent you know, yeah. uh, events. Yeah. That's human nature. Like the yeah. emergency is always going to be the most important thing on your plate. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Cool. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. It's just like going like as a, as a maker and having gone through like different iterations from like, you know, doing fully doing everything by hand without enough tooling, moving into CNC kind of like making do with processes, mm-hmm. um, processy processes. Um, this 
this is the first thing in a long time where it actually makes me feel like a better designer. Cool. Like I could make knives. I can design knives. It doesn't mean that I'm like, I guess it, it, it doesn't change that like basic fact, mm-hmm. but with the, with the, the way that I am now able to design, I think it opens a lot of paths that either I wouldn't have seen pursued or been able to do with like the same efficiency. I've, I've been thinking about it a lot and I can't, I don't know why I feel like it's such a big paradigm shift. I think part of it is the obviously sketching like with a pencil and paper is the fastest way to get ideas down. Right. But you're like, when you put a sketch on paper, it doesn't feel like real. It doesn't feel like an actual physical piece of success, at least to me quite so much. It's like that the work, it hasn't even begun yet when you have a sketch that you like for me. Um, and it seems like with CAD, because you now have a 3D model and particularly either 3D print or like a laser cut blank, it's like you can see that this thing could be water jet. It could be CNC machined. It's like the physical existence of it happens mm-hmm. so much quicker after you've had the idea. Because it's like, because I design in CAD, I don't just model things in CAD. I actually do the designing in CAD. It's like I can finish a really cool version of the thing. Let's say I change the choil around or something. I can click print. And then I can walk away just for a little while and then have an actual physical model that I can hold. Mm-hmm. And it's not only like a quick way to do it, but it's exactly what you designed. Yeah. Because usually if you're going to sketch something and then prototype it like manually, unless you're putting quite a bit of time into it, it's going to be a little bit different. Like you can do a cardboard, you know, right. exacto knife situation and all that. But like it never feels like it's a, the physical thing you're holding is exactly what you imagined. Right. But with CAD, it is exactly what you did. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. the, for me, it's the precision that just feels good. Well, the man, the precision, I, I was, I still like, I hand sketch a lot. And when I, I'm a, I'm not good at sketching. Like, so I'm not like doing like rendered, you know, like yeah. things with, you know, proportion, you know, just, it's right. a, it Same. is a, it's like a, a, you know, a top down view of a profile but I've always seen them in 3d and this is a really weird, like this is the, like the intersection of those two things, because mm-hmm. I know from that little 2d sketch, ultimately exactly how that knife is going to like, look how I'm going to shape things, how it's going to feel. But now it's opening up, It's like opening up a very different way of interacting with that. Yeah. Um, and I think, it, I mean, from a, just from like a, a process standpoint, it, I think it will, it will save time in certain areas, but it is going to, man, it's going to increase time in others. I, after I finished the, the key on, I sent Maddie a message and I was like, this is going to be a problem. I was like, we have to figure out how to integrate this with my schedule because it's now it's all I want to do. Mm-hmm. It is sticky. Oh yeah, it is. Uh, right. <laughs> do you have that? Like, oh, yeah. like I was literally, oh, yeah. I was losing track of time. Mm-hmm. I forgot to eat a couple days. Like, and I'd look and I'd be like, wait, what? It's eight o'clock at night. Yep. 
it's like playing a video game dude it's like playing a video game yeah there's a dopamine thing going on there for sure creative it's like a creative (laughs) problem solving video game yep which for my brain is like about the best thing i can imagine for it yeah um so yeah it's such it's such early days like i've done i've done four four projects through i'm finishing the fourth one right now um which is actually i went back and redid the strafe but like drew it from scratch so like brought brought it in had like one that i just use as like an origin sketch but then redrew everything and my time from like the first model to this model is so drastically different. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Um, I'm still using the video. So I basically like pull the videos up and what I'm doing is I, at this point, I try to make it through as much of the model without referencing. And then if I get stuck, I just go reference. Mm -hmm. I could do a fixed blade completely free of the videos at this point. Oh, that's awesome, dude. That's huge. I know that. Right. I That's would probably huge. struggle in a few areas, but the, the last model I did, I would say like 90%. I didn't reference anything. Mm-hmm. Dude, so this is great. just, you know, as people are trying to learn specific skills as it relates to an industry and having taken courses, like if, and, and maybe that, maybe this is not wrong. Like if you have a high level of, if you can get a class and you can go learn SolidWorks or you can learn Fusion 360, like you're going to be so far ahead of the game because you will you'll come out like understanding constraints. For me, learning the learning the software as it relates to the product is a huge time savings, right? Because you just mm-hmm. are able to. It's a it's a microcosm. Mm-hmm. We're not not everything we're doing is like linear. You know, um, there we have some like there's some weird. There's some weird processes that happen when you're making yeah. a knife. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and there are elements of the knife that, I mean, in CAD, it's one of those powerful to, tools that basically everything you can do in CAD, you can do like about five to 10 different ways and get right. the same result. Yep. And so I tried to distill it down to where it's like, in my experience, these are the ways that are the most robust and the right. most comparable to physical manufacturing. Right. And, uh, basically everything i did i was like yeah you know, there's like five other ways but i'm going to teach the way that i have kind of like i said distilled down to being the the way i do it right um, and that specifically around making things like i remember i when i first started learning rhino i did something very similar which was i went to unm and i basically found one of their instructional texts and i was just like hey i will pay you 25 bucks an hour to tutor me in rhino and he went for it and one of the first things that he said as we were drawing, he was like, oh, this is cool. He's like, you actually, you're thinking about this like you're going to make it. Mm-hmm. He's like, a lot of the students that we see come through, they've never made anything. So mm-hmm. the things that they designed, a lot of them are not really producible oh, yeah. <laughs> from a manufacturing standpoint. Oh, yeah. And he's like, they have to learn how to make and how something is made without ever having made something. Yeah. So this stuff. is a similar thing. You're learning you're learning the software as it relates to actual production. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, when you have the tools and the shop in front of you, yeah. 
and you're the one that's going to do that work and you're yeah. the, also the one designing it, it changes everything. Changes everything. Um, because it's like, you're like, I could use an eighth inch end mill right here, but that means another tool in the another tool change just for that one little op. That means managing tool life on that little guy. If I could just bump that radius by 10 thou, I could go mm-hmm. and use this three sixteenths that I already have in there. You know what I mean? Like these are decisions. And that's why if you've ever had a knife made, like if you're a designer listening to this and you send it out to some other factory and they seem to have changed like weird things that seem like they don't make sense. Like why would you make the choil that shape or why would you do that to the jimping? It's probably because of their trying to laminate it with their existing processes. And like, I just really think understanding who you're selling the design to, or whether it's you making it, what your tools are, um, like that comes first before CAD. Um, and Definitely. I think having all of those constraints laid out and, and understanding them before you actually design anything is important. Because if you design it and then you filter it through all those constraints, you may depart from the ultimate goal that you originally set out because oftentimes it's like, well, if I'd have known that the jimping couldn't be that way, right. I probably wouldn't have had jimping or I probably would have done it. I would have done fewer of them or I would have moved them or right. the same with the choil. So it's like have the constraints and it's aggravating. And I think that's where you get to designers that are just beginning. It's aggravating to design with constraints right? because you'll sit there and just think like this lock insert, is weird because the screws that are off the shelf are too long, right. blah, blah, blah. And it's like, this sucks. I really want it to be this way, but you really have to like have the discipline to do that. Um, and yeah, it makes it, makes it way easier though. After the design's done, that's for sure. Dude, it's crazy. I mean, I think one of the areas it's going to have most effect is probably with factory collaborations for me. Um, because like early on in factory collaborations, like it's really common to send a physical prototype. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I would say that overall, this is probably a fairly universal experience. Like you're, you're different, right? Like you started submitting CAD early on mm-hmm. and maybe that will actually happen more and more and more now. But for a long time, you would have knives on your table and a company would come talk to you and a knife would go into production. Yeah. Right. I've been in like a middle ground for a long time because a lot of the things I'm designing, I don't actually have the time to build customs of. But my skill set was not at a point where I could do essentially something that was as detailed as a physical model. This now changes that. Mm -hmm. So I think that it streamlines my design process but also yields a much better end result for the companies that i'm working with yeah and and on the flip side of what i just said earlier there's the constraints of manufacturing that i was speaking of as like kind of negatively impacting your design work but there's uh constraints that a custom shop has that a manufacturer does not so it goes both ways so it's like if you if you're always bound by making physical hand handmade prototypes you're going to miss out on some manufacturing potential that can be done in that environment that can't easily be done by hand. Yeah. Um, and I think there's quite a few of those types of features. Like if you're going to do textured milling patterns that yep. you're just, you're never going to pull that off with a hand file. I mean, I guess you could theoretically, yep. but um, there's just so much more, especially I've gone to the, to the length of sometimes I'll, I'll like design something 
and I'll take it into cam and I'll start actually camming it yeah. because in cam is where you can control a lot of things like texture and like yeah. step overs and patterns. And I've even submitted that as well as the model to be like, this is how I want it programmed. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's just so powerful. Yeah. And that's, I think that's like where my head is at. Cause I've, I've like, I tried to model some textures and I will continue doing that. Um, but at this point I'm not, I'm just not quick enough and I'm struggling with that aspect of it. Um, that could actually be a really cool add on is mm-hmm. like, here's a, a basic primer on how to create textures on a 3d surface. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think I'll, I'll, I think I'll go the cam route. Dude, it's, it really is. It's been really good. I'm, I don't know the end of the year. Like I know we're going to do like an end of the year, Bob, but there's a few things that have, that have like really come into focus recently, which was, I think I've, I've always waited to, for like good times to do things or like big blocks of time. And starting a couple months ago, I just realized I was like, I don't, I can't do this. And so I just started doing every days. And what's crazy to me is that I'm, I've actually been able to increase the amount of activities that I do every single day and somehow not have it negatively affect my like overall output. I don't, I think what it means is I think that at least in my case, there was a probably like a lot of slack in the, in my overall like time that was just being occupied. But by putting these blocks of like an hour or 30 minutes or, you know, two hour, 10 minutes, whatever it is, the slack is gone, but like everything else stays. So like the important things stay, the like the slack goes away and now you're getting like real value out of that, like essentially lost time. That might've been like time, like staring at my phone. Like I just started, like I started doing like, oh, I'm going to put my, I'm going to put my phone on airplane mode. 90 minutes out of the day. Yeah. Recently I've just been doing three hours. Yeah. With ADHD, if I look at my phone, there's a very strong chance that that's going to cross link and I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. If I gain three hours without that potential, that's insane. And so like the CAD thing, I don't know. It's just weird. It's like all of these like micro efficiencies somehow tied into this. And then now it feels like just like a hundred percent improvement. It's wild. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So I know that's like, that's a little bit of the, the excitement around the program. I, like I said, I, you're, you're a very good teacher. Thanks. And so going into it, like I, I didn't, it's not like I had like doubts around like what you were teaching, but I was like, all right, I've already like been tutoring with you. Dude, this, if we had never tutored, I could have, I could be at where I'm at now based on the program or, you know, on the, on the course, but the ability to literally just watch mimic rewind is like worth its weight in gold. Yeah. I think, cause I tutored you and I also yeah. actually at the same time tutored a few other people and it, it occurred to me so quickly that it was like, this is better, not live. Yeah, I, it, it's better if it's recorded and it's reach and you can backstep 100 percent because it's like it's like 
many things, you know, it's like you, you, it only takes like a sentence to get someone to understand it. Yeah. Then it takes them hours to actually practice that and be effective with it. So it's like, if I'm, if someone's paying me for like tutoring time, it's like within the first five minutes, I can have them on a track right where they could spend the rest of the two hours or whatever, like totally consumed with that first paragraph of information that I gave them. And so it's like, I, it just seemed the CAD course after those tutoring sessions really started to seem like a good idea. And it just took me, you know, a year to actually do it, but, um, I still want to add to it. Yeah. I, that not necessarily new course, I mean, to the existing course in the existing model, I, I have other ideas to add to it. I want it to be a continual process, but yeah. 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 There's definitely like, I think we had talked about that. There's a few things that I would love to see. Um, I'd love to see a little bit of the, like the, is it surface modeling or solid modeling? Surface, surface. modeling is yeah. what I didn't touch. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to see surface modeling. Um, I do think that like textures, just from the standpoint of a process, like you can figure it. I can definitely figure it out based on what is in the the course already. But mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling there's just there's a way that you would lay it out that could shave a lot of frustration. Yeah. Yeah. off it um and then like technical drawings like how you go about actually creating a drawing set would be like a dimension mm-hmm. drawing yeah. would be really cool um and then past that i do really think there is a lot of value in cam and like fixturing from a conceptual standpoint yeah yeah you know yeah I- i'd love to i'd love to continue to pump more into it also, I did just post a YouTube video for the first time in a long time, nice. <laughs> like a, like a normal YouTube video on my channel this week. So that was, that felt good. I got to do more of those YouTube videos. That's another thing. What was this one on? Uh, it, I mean, I'm, it's not like instructional. It's more of vlog style. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, uh, that new knife that I am making that I nice. have officially announced to be called the lost trail. Ooh. This one being the five, the five inch lost trail. So it's LT five, LT five. Um, and I did a video on building the fixture and machining the first ones for the tang off of that fixture. So that was fun. Nice. How's that? You want to pivot? You want to talk about LT5? Oh, we can. A little bit? Sure. How's it going? Uh, really good so far. Uh, in the last episode, I touched on laser versus water jet and I basically came to the conclusion that most people do is that there's a reason everyone uses water jet laser. Okay. If you're big enough, if you're like bench made, yeah, I can, you, you almost have to use laser and then you have to try to mitigate the problems as much as possible because there is a point where the scalability of water jet just runs out. Um, and right. it's ridiculously slow. If you've never watched a water jet run, they are absolutely glacial in their like pace of cutting parts and so if i mean it is it is relative because you know like we're thinking yeah. like you know you can water jet or you can bandsaw yeah right yeah right i mean to compared to truly handmade for sure but i mean or we're even talking... milling like if you're like take a coupon mill it out versus have it water jet to go to mill yeah right yeah but, but i get what you're saying like but as far as like in terms it, if you're trying to do like a like X thousand number of parts. Yeah, a month. Yeah, yeah. Like you just basically what I'm saying is like water jet is better for knives. Yeah. But the reason people are lasering is you eventually get to where they can't keep up. Like it's just right. not possible. Um, and w- w- what I got to in that video is like, 
yes, you can mill through that hardened perimeter that's a result of the laser, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be a big problem. But anytime you're introducing extremely irregular heat to a thin, flat part, you're like asking for big trouble. And I did get warpage, and it was strange warpage. It wasn't like your conventional style where like the whole part is warping. It's It's like potato chip along an edge. It would be like one spot where you could see where it was like a little extra color from heat. And the tip would just be like deflected right there. And I, and anything that shows me that there's going to be warpage coming down the road, I'm going to just avoid that like the plague, dude. Because war, warpage is yeah. like big trouble in production. It's I've seen it like really tear down a lot of projects in the past. Yeah. Um, it hasn't been a huge problem for me personally, but it, it can be straightened sometimes. It can be dealt with. But Yeah, but you're increasing your now your problem. You're fixing problems instead of doing work. Yeah, exactly. So it's not worth it. I'm going to pay twice as much money to water jet. Mm-hmm. And then it's all going to get machined. And it's going to be the same end product anyway. But I'm going to go the safe route. Yeah. Um, I think if like if I owned a laser, which probably will never happen because they're ridiculous. Um, we can touch on that in a minute. Yeah, true. But if I owned a laser, I might have a little bit more confidence because there are ways to manage heat. But the right. problem is in a production shop, if you deliver a sheet of steel, right. they want to just cut it and then yeah. get on to the next thing because yeah. it's a million dollar laser and they want to keep cutting. Yeah. Whereas if you were to cut like a part and then dwell and then cut like a part and then dwell yeah. and then cut or cut like a row, yeah. or so, there's ways that you could manage the heat. But yeah. If you're, I mean, if you're trying to work with a shop that's trying to make money, they're just not yeah. going to really accommodate They're making that. parts for bumpers, yeah, you know, or something. Yeah, that's an interesting yeah. point because if you, if you have the right shop or the right, you know, person that you're working with, a lot of those problems could probably be solved. Yeah. But it's specific. And I mean, that's like, why are there so many water jet companies that like popped up kind of around the knife industry? Yeah. You know, and then, you know, at a point like initially you go to a water jet place, people were having water jet parts cut and they were running into problems because they weren't familiar with knives and the things that we need mm-hmm. and the problem points that we run the pain points that we run into. Now it's like a known quantity. The yeah. places that run water jet for knife makers know what knife makers need. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't exist with laser as much. I don't think. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I actually just found a water jet place in Bend. Cool. So I'm going to go check them out Um, because I'm still not doing that. Like a lot of the stuff that I make, like I'll, I'll cut the whole blank on the CNC. Um, Mm -hmm. So plan with this, like back to the CAD stuff is essentially using this process to update all of my manufacturing processes. So just moving into like, you know, some water jet, new fixturing um, is very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I'm curious well, about the laser. Like I thought the laser maybe as you were talking about it for Cypop blanks might actually be a good option. Oh yeah, it would definitely. If, yeah. If if you're not dealing with a material that's like thermally unstable. Yeah. Like titanium, aluminum. Yeah. You know, brass. Titanium I am. But, it, and that's the thing. It's like, I guess. Yeah, maybe and maybe not. I don't know. It's like and worth having a sheet done sometime yeah, to see. Yeah. And the parts are so small that and they're thick they're relative thick, to yeah. their size. So they're not going to probably The only work. thing that I could see as a problem is like edge hardening. So that's still a question. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, you haven't have you machined yet? Yeah. Was that? Cuz we yeah. talked about that. Yeah, I machined. So yeah, I had them laser cut 
and I'll I'll drop the bomb on here. I already said it on YouTube. It's A2 tool steel. Yes. And A in A2 originally standard stood for air, which means yep. it quenches via air. Yep. Which is about the worst case scenario for laser for, cutting. Yeah. Because you're literally heating it and air quenching it. It's like the yeah. the steel that would be designed to harden in that condition. And so right. Did you think about that beforehand? Yeah. I thought about it, but I was like, if the value of, of the price difference is so enormous that it was like, right. had to try it. And so they came back. I, I touched it on the belt sander. Cause there was a couple that had like a little bit of a slag area. And I just touched that on the belt sander to see, like, you can immediately tell how hard it is usually yeah. when you do that. And it was like, Whoa, that's hard. That's like 60 Rockwell. And so, so I was like, this is going to be interesting. So I was nervous about that, but I put it on the fixture and it just, didn't care didn't care um, and that's the thing and i don't i after watching them run i'm like i'm not concerned about the hardness of the edge okay but that's because it's tool steel and tool steel is designed to be milled hard right so a2 does get harder theoretically because it's an air hardening steel yeah but just if, if you've ever hard milled like a high alloy stainless like a magna cut a, a powdered metal steel Hard milling that stuff is way harder to mill than like a carbon steel or like a conventional old school stainless. So it's like if the whole thing was hard, it would probably still machine fine. Right. You know what I mean? It'd be a little different feeds and speeds, but I even thought about doing that. I even thought about just having them laser cut, having the whole thing hardened and then just and then just mill them. Oh, that's Um, interesting. Because it just machines so well. Huh. Which still is I still would consider that actually. I'm still I wonder if that would cut that. down a warping. Well, I'm not doing bevels. So it doesn't, there's not a huge difference between the water jet version and the machine so you're version. The, right. The warping is coming. Okay. Right. But, okay. Out of order. But I, I mean, it, it would be more dimensionally sound yeah. because you can get expansion and contraction during right. uh, heat treat. So if I ever had problems with that, like there are makers, uh, HMC manufacturing, he has a cool podcast over there. Uh, what's it called? Uh, Sharpen Perspectives. Yep. Those guys, or him particularly, he hard mills like everything, dude. Right. It's is it pretty cool. That and, that like as I'm moving into this process, I think this is like an area where you and I differ, right? Mm-hmm. Only because of like I have I <laughs> I have a preconceived notion around heat treating and warping, mm-hmm. and I'm scared. So it's like in my brain, I'm like, oh, it makes more sense to heat treat a blank and then mill the blank. And at this point, I heat treat a blank and then grind a blank. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I know, I know the results you're getting. And I'm like, I guess maybe it's just self-doubt of like, I don't know that I can get the same results. Hard milling makes sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm going to try. I'm going to try both. Yeah. um, Yeah. If you watch uh, Aaron Goff, Goff Customs on YouTube, Mm -hmm. he hard, he literally takes d2 tool steel in a coupon it's like 10 inches long quarter inch thick hardens it as a coupon as a rectangle right then hard mills the entire thing including the bevel including profile yeah profile bevel pocketing holes drilling everything is all hard from a coupon i wonder why he does that versus getting a water jet blank uh dimensional stability is what he was talking about at least in one of the videos i watched um because if you're at least the way it made it sound, the way he talked about it, is that if you're going to hard mill it to try to get the dimensional precision, you might as well just do a coupon because it's not that big a difference from doing water jet. I don't know. 
Hmm. I guess I might be putting words in his mouth, but might have to watch that video again. Maybe I'll but watch it too. That's yeah. just a testament to how easily tool steel right. are machines because right. he is taking it like over 60 Rockwell. But in the case of Magnica, if you had Magnica at 63 Rockwell, yeah. And no you're go. trying to hard melt like that, you're going to have a very bad time. And yeah. I've tried it. It's it's rough on tools. Um, and so it, it does come down to steel choice big time on hard milling. ABL hard mills like butter. I do. I love, I love ABL. It's pretty cool stuff. I'm so excited. Warp. Dude, all I want to do, like right now we're in this spot. All I'm thinking about is, is jumping back into fusion right now. It's crazy. <laughs> It, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna let it run for a while because like this is this is the beauty of a hyper focus. Um, man, there's so many things, but that ABL I've got a knife that I want to do ABL with. Nice, so good. I'm a uh, one little side note. I'm machining, so I ended up doing one sheet in laser. Okay, decided I want to go water jet. Delivered all the rest of the steel to water jet. It's done. I'm getting it after this call. I'm gonna actually run in there and get it. So tomorrow I'll be machining the LT5s, the first batch, and I want to change something. So I've been interpolating all my quarter-inch bolt holes, like for my hardware. And interpolating just means like a smaller tool doing a circle right? as opposed to drilling it or reaming it. And I love that because you can comp the diameter really quickly and easily with either cutter comp or just changing like uh, stock to leave in Fusion. Mm -hmm. But it's less precise, obviously, because you're not getting right. as round of a hole. You still have an entry and exit. You still have, yeah, you still have an entry. And then you're getting also like as the tool wears, you're having to comp it. It's a more manual process to like achieve right. a certain dimension. And I want this to be a less manual process on this new knife. So I ordered a drill that is 0.252 diameter. So okay. it's like not an actual quarter inch. It's two thou over. Because I can't, I need a 0.252 hole. So I'm trying to replace interpolation with just carbide drilling alone. Okay. Um, and I'm a little bit worried about it, but I just want to throw it as like a technical thing I'm working on. I want to see tomorrow how that goes. Is there a reason? I guess on a fixed blade, it's, probably, it's like not as critical. Is there like a reason you wouldn't go to a reamer? So like drill and ream? So drill and ream is obviously peak. That's like yeah. the best possible hole making that you can do. Yeah. Um, I wanted to try the drill alone first because yeah. I heard through some grapevines that there are some knife manufacturers that have found it reliable enough for fixed blades Ooh. to just drill. Yeah. Um, I believe so, that. And the right drill, like, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to try. I really want it to just drill. Um, and then if it doesn't work, then I have to go drill reamer. Right. Um, but it's just, but you're already getting the accuracy you need out of interpolating, right? Uh, somewhat. It's, it's floating around a little bit. It's not out of control. Um, but the problem, the thing that I'm going to have to do is all of these LT fives are going to get Cerakote and Cerakote has a thickness and I don't want to be like pressing dowels through to like get them to like fit because the Cerakote's going to make that hole be tighter. And the problem is I need to have, I need to decide like, okay, that hole is going to be 0.252 and I have a go, no go gauge that I'm going to make sure I control it within a certain range. And I need to know, okay, if they're coming back from Cerakote too tight, what is the nominal value that I already started with so that I can then go to a different value. Whereas with the interpolation, we're not getting like 
a numerical value that I can trust. It's like floating too much. Sure. But if it's a stone wash blade, it really doesn't matter that much. And they're right. all shadow box knives. So like a one right. flower float doesn't matter. But this one being a Cerakoted knife with the handles matching the perimeter of the tang. Right. I'm like upping the game on the tightness of the tolerance on that oh, hole. Oh, well, and that right there, that, yeah. that one reason, the fact yeah. that the scales match the tang. Yeah completely changes that's yeah. that brings up like an interesting point which is like your processes that you have moving into different products there's almost there's almost always some kind of issue yeah you know um and to be honest i always wanted to do this but what happened is when i make a product like the very first time yeah i prefer to interpolate everything because okay. If it's like not quite right, I can just type in the, in the on the keyboard and it changes instantly to whatever right. I want. Right. And that's good for like product development. Yeah. But then when you go into production, that's a very slow manual way to do it. Um, but like if you were trying to drill and ream and you weren't sure what diameter tolerance you were chasing, you'd have to order like $200 worth of reamers in like one or five tenths increments or whatever. Right. So it's just it's better to just interpolate in the beginning. And I yeah. just kept doing that for like yeah, right. two years. Yeah. So it's like, I just, I, now that I know the dimension, I need to actually do it the right way. So. Yeah. 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 Nice. That's like a, that's a little upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. So tomorrow that's what I'll be diving into. Go now, go gauges and carbide drills instead of interpolation. And Ooh. do you have a set of go, no go gauges? Uh, I ordered a bunch of pins, a bunch of okay. uh, gauge, like gauge pins, pins that are uh, five tenths increments all around the 250 range. Um, yeah. I've actually started a 3D print. It's going right now of a little like gauge pin holder. Um, oh, and fun. I ordered like the go, no go, call it handles that you can put those pins in. Nice. So, yeah, I'm trying to get set up with that. Dude, uh, my relationship with my 3D printer just got so much better. Um, it's so funny, man. I like. Just think, I was thinking about tools and like the amount of tools that I've bought over the year, like the, the forge forging stuff. Like I have a, you know, Anyang power hammer and a press and I've, mm -hmm. I've never really used them. I've like played around with them recently. I've like really come to a lot of peace with that process because I realize that like, I like to learn. Mm -hmm. I also need like, I need dopamine kind of things to look forward to. But I also just enjoy having the tools. I was talking with a friend yesterday about motorcycles and he's like, I don't know. He's like, I haven't been riding much. And like, I think, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's like worth it to keep this bike. And it's like, but he loves mechanical things. He has car projects. He has bikes. And I was like, if you never rode that bike again, could you afford it? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, do you really like that bike? And he's like, yeah. Like you, you are getting value from just what you walk out into your garage and you like the triumph that you have. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I've been with tools, but I used to be really hard on myself about it. But what I realized like with a process like the, this is if I was learning fusion right now, I knew that I wanted to do it and I knew that I wanted to 3d print. But if I just went through this process, I would then have to also be putting together my 3d printers and my laser cutters. I already did that. I didn't do it in a logical order. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things I think that like makers, creatives, maybe, and maybe this is just like humans in general. Like we're so focused on doing things in the right order all the time, or like an order that makes sense. Like I don't know, some of it, I don't think it matters. Yeah. Well, speaking it? of, speaking of dopamine pursuit, 
there is something about 3D printing because once yeah. you once you have CAD ability yep. and a 3D printer, it's like the whole world looks like it's just waiting for 3D printed things to be in it at that point. Do you know what I mean? Like we'll be in the kitchen and I'll be like, man, we have one extra knife and our knife block is full. Yeah. Like what if I 3D, you know, like immediately you just start thinking. I've been doing it. That's been the other part of the everydays. Yeah. So far, the best things, I'm like, okay, best things. We bought a new microwave. Dude, meanwhile, I like, we were, I was cooking something and my microwave caught on fire. I have no idea what happened. I looked and I just see like out of the right hand side, I see a flame just caught off. I was just happened to be standing there. Jeez. So got a new microwave. The opening mechanism is a bag of forks or I I instantly (laughs) thought, man, I was like one of the kids put metal in there. No, um, bag (laughs) of forks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So we get a new microwave. It doesn't have a button. You have to pull the door. The problem is it's not like hard mounted. So when you pull the door, the microwave moves. Yeah. For, for my brain, this is a problem. Like I cannot, it'll ruin my experience every time I use the microwave. Yeah. So I was like, okay, how do I solve this? And I was like, all right, I'm going to go print a 3d, I mean, a 3d print, a thumb rest. So now when you go to open the door, you have like a bar that you yeah. put your thumb on and push. Yeah. So that was like win one. And then Bo came out to the shop yesterday to hang out. He was like, can we make something? I was like, absolutely. He's like, I was like, what do you want to make? He's like, a lightning bolt. And I was like, okay. He's like, Harry Potter lightning bolt. So we made, we 3D printed. I sent you the rendering of it. Uh, just like a little 3D printed lightning bolt necklace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool. But I made him do the work. And he's like, he doesn't get a lot of, he doesn't have a computer yet. doesn't have like, like the dexterity to like run a mouse. So we just used it as like, okay, put your hands here select this line okay click click so i just had him click through and then just little things like okay we're gonna take our we're gonna take our memory card and we're gonna put it in the 3d printer all right here's how we set up the 3d printer he's six and i was like as i was doing it i was like this is amazing because if Mm. i keep doing this with him he could be like nine years old and have like a pretty good understanding of cad that is crazy to me I I 100% agree and I have to say one of my goals with our kids is like a lot of kids get the gamer bug I had it yeah and I had it too I, I hope I can get my kids to trigger that gaming like uh addiction to like 3D printing and CAD yeah I don't know if it's going to happen cuz I can't like project my desires on them and all right. that but it's Might close be a enough cross to gaming. like I see it I see it with as around parenting right now, it's he's interested in Harry Potter. That's mm-hmm. what he likes. Tying this into Harry Potter was the thing that made him sit there with me for 30 yeah. minutes. And then he just sat and watched the 3d printer. And the reality of it is he's going to sit and watch a 15 minute print. He's being quiet. He's focusing. He's like mm-hmm. attention on something that is like actually really peaceful. Just yeah. zzz, 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 zzz. there's yeah. no, there is no, bombastic like dopamine it's not overstimulation it's or not anything. overstimulation dude and it was amazing he came back and he was like he's like can i make one of these for cal his, his best friend i was like absolutely and then we're for christmas this year we're we're gonna i'm gonna do a bunch of little puzzles for the family like photo puzzles so you just like take a photo laser cut it throw it in a box mm-hmm. we built him one um 
last week. And it's just, I'm enjoying those interactions so much. It's like a way yeah. to like, kind of like meet them at their level, but around something that I'm capable of doing yeah. too. So yeah. 3d printing is, is wonderful, dude. I, I'm dude. I, I can't wait. It. I got so many projects. What yeah. is your, what is the best thing non knife related that you've 3d printed? Ooh, uh, our front gate to our house. I 3d printed like two and a half years ago. And I thought for sure it would just fall apart. And it was because the gate is in between like a post that holds up like the, the roof of the house, like the yep. extended part of the roof. And then the house, the gates in between. And there's no latch that really exists that is like fits that tiny margin yeah. that we needed. And so I just in just designed and 3D printed one that like screwed into the wall of the house. Yeah. And it's been there ever since. And like it's a super intuitive. Everybody goes and they grab it. They unlock they grab it. it. It auto shuts like when you push it. And it, I'm just like super happy with it. What a what a time in manufacturing i have this like very vivid memory of the eyeball maker this is super random uh, the, like the the eyeball maker from uh blade runner mm-hmm. he's like in like a frozen shop but like just all this like weird machinery and stuff around 3d printing feels like that to me um, i remember i had a friend who worked at sandia national labs and this would be 20 plus years ago and i remember him bringing me a a centered a, a titanium centered 3d print and he's like mm. a lab in germany sent us this file and we printed this in metal yeah. and it's like you know it's a bunch of like like college age like super nerd engineers yeah. and machinists and like everybody's head just like exploded yeah they're like yeah what it's incredible mind-blowing and now you're like oh a thousand bucks or you know 200 bucks and you can you basically like can be like a little micro hardware store yeah like it's so and there's like they're so fun the things that you're able like the stakes like okay i can make a drawer pull i can machine it i can go down i can cut some stock i can turn it on my lathe it's a time commitment with the ability to like solid model it you you just instantly making mm-hmm. tool bases storage like i'm i've got some yeah. plans for stuff that i'm gonna um print for my four-wheel camper mm-hmm. and now it's like i'm enjoying it more than finding something that i like because i'm like oh i like this and i made it it's really yeah. cool satisfying it fits a very specific application too it's like yeah. you're trying to interface two things that otherwise shouldn't do that and yeah. yeah. And the other thing is like this LT5. I haven't shown a picture of the scales. Ooh, I haven't. Yeah. I have been 3D printing these scales over and over and over and over. And I've been dating yeah. them so that I have like this history oh. catalog. I've got like all these different dates laying all over the place because what I found real quick is I would 3D print one, 3D print the next. Yeah. And I'd want to backtrack one step. And right. without 3D printing again, I could just have it dated. And so I have like a, a milk crate just like filling up with handles for this thing. And so I 3D, I 3D printed the whole tang and the scales until I was basically close enough, 99 percentile, started running the tanks through production, but I'm still 3D printing a set of scales like a couple times a week Dude. so that by the time I have to make the scales, I've got like 10 extra iterations, right. even though the tangs are already in production because right. it just is it just might as well use that extra time. This is, this is what I mean about like the shift to being a better designer. 
right? Exploration and learning are like so critical. Maybe not even learning. I mean, it is, but not in like, not, I don't mean learning in like the traditional sense of like learning. It's like, as you're working through a model, right? Like I'm working through this knife. I am learning this knife on a physical level and conceptual level. Like when I first see it, you're like, oh, I have this concept for a knife. You draw it. You're like, that's cool. And I, I print it and I'm like instantly like, oh, that's like this. The first one that I ran into was like the choil radius was, or the finger choil radius was too small. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, straight back to yeah. the 3D print. You're learning what that model needs, but yeah. you're also seeing it and you're able to like make small tweaks and like, oh, maybe if I change that line, it's, yeah. it's exploration. Yep. It's better yeah. design. And, and I feel like if you're a custom maker, like absolutely handmade custom, yeah. you are doing those iterations as you're making them because it's totally. like handmade. Yes. But when you actually turn over into production, you you don't really have the affordance of like changing every single one. Right. And so that's where I'm like, I want at least like 10 to 15 iterations done before I even, even if I'm happy with the first one. Yeah. Like I'm going to keep doing it and keep doing it and hold it and watch a movie with my wife and sit there and hold it. Because like, just like a custom maker, like they all have done this and understand is like after two years of making it, you notice something about that backspacer that started to bother you. You notice something. So it's like, I try to compress the noticing of details like into a couple months of leading up to launching a knife. Um, and just like, there's no way to do it other than 3d printing. You know what I mean? Um, not with this man, the dimensional capability, the fact that you're able to get your contours, get your chamfers, truly see it. Like you, I see a lot of times like you print things in one color, like I'm just doing it in two colors because it's like my brain wants to see the contrast of it. And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, Man, that is so cool. Yeah. Like, have you ever, have you thought about doing any 3D printed products? I have. Is there anything that you want to make without like saying what it is? That is that? It's nothing's like jumped to the forefront. Yeah. Um, but it's crossed my mind for sure. I know there's makers out there that are doing 3D printed packaging. Right. Um, 3D printed packaging. I've thought about that. Um, it's pretty cool. I like, I struggle with packaging because. For me, packaging is part of the design. Like, again, like I'm like an Apple guy and I love like I love opening the packaging, but I also struggle with the waste around packaging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So like Cypop has really nice packaging, but I I look and I'm like, man, it's got like, you know, foam cutouts in it and it's a box where my head has been at with packaging is like, what would someone get? that they would keep for they won't throw it away yeah Yeah, but like not keep it as packaging like not like ocd i need to keep this box forever like oh let me repurpose this box because it's cool yeah um like metal like metal tins is something that i've been like looking towards for like small products oh totally you know because you keep it or your kid will keep it or a little thought that popped into my head. I don't know the eco-friendliness because I haven't read into it, but they make a uh, support filament that's designed yeah. to be water soluble. Um, so the whole intent is that if you 3d print something, that's like this crazy figurine holding like a sword or something, the water soluble filament is printed like as a support. And then it's melted away with just warm water. I wonder how eco-friendly that is. Because if you printed an entire packaging thing for like a Cypop, like a brick yep. with a negative in it, with yep. a little click on lid, yep, and it was designed 
totally to be made water soluble. Yep. So that I don't, I just don't know if that's like just a microplastic disaster. I, I would have to right, read about exactly, it. Right. You don't but, know. That's but, a great, I just wrote it down yeah. because um, dude, that's the thing. Um, the options are so unlimited and like, look, okay. So Winston has glow in the dark stars over his, in under his bunk bed. Bo wants glow in the dark stars. We can go by glow in the dark stars. I can also just 3d print them. Yeah. I actually don't use packaging. I don't know that one is, I don't know that that makes it more like ecologically friendly than the other. Yeah. I don't know. But I do know that the act of making the stars with Bo and putting them on his ceiling is going to give him a different yeah. type of connection than just going to the store and buying them off yeah, Amazon and it makes or whatever. It, it, it very certainly makes it feel less disposable too. Exactly. Because it's like, let's say six months later, you're going to move the bed to the other side of the room. Right. Normal stars that you got at the dollar store, you buy, throw those away. Yeah. But like with those, it's like, oh, those are neat. Remember that? Yeah. Like it's yeah. got your name on them. Like that's pretty cool, you know? pretty good yeah that's for sure okay 3d printed products i keep trying to think about it and i'm like i because i see stuff that other people are making and selling i'm like it's cool i just haven't had one that i'm really attached to yet but i like the idea i love the idea of like a print farm here's a thought okay imagine so if you 3d print something you can insert like an m0 i don't know what the actual g code is but you can make the printer stop and then you put something inside and then it prints it to where right. it's like concealed. Yeah. And then if you made a water soluble box <laughs> for like a Cypop or something, yep. fully and the enclose only it. way to get it out would be to like dilute it with water and like actually dis- you had to dissolve it to get it out. Yeah. Like that could be, uh, be kind of cool. Did you, I don't know if you saw the, the beads I did with Pat Pruitt a while back. Uh, the packaging the that he picked, he picked like a, a, like a medicine, like a little medicine jar. Yeah, I saw that but it clicks sealed. So to open it, you literally had to break the seal. Uh-huh. I actually love the fact that I know there are some that are not going to be opened. Yeah. Because someone got it and is like, I can't open it. Like, yeah. Cause then it won't yeah. be, it won't be this thing. It's and I just pristine. love that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that mummified product. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause, cause you can get it where it's kind of like transparent. So you can still see it. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's so good. With like the Burnley logo, like overlaid, like, Oh, that, that could be kind of cool. The problem Love I have, it. the reason I'm telling you this is like, I would do it, but I don't have any products that it would fit. <laughs> that fit that. That's a to, fun one. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of like the, um, like the dinosaur eggs that you can get for exactly. kids. Exactly. Where they yeah. like comes with like a little tool and yeah. they can like pry it out. I yeah. wonder, oh, that's a fun, that's like a fun gamified product yeah. idea where you're like, yeah. you buy, you buy the set and it comes with like, okay, it comes with a titanium pry bar. But you actually have to like pick the the casing away from like the other product. Yeah, it's like a yeah. pry bar and a bead or something. Yeah. There's some there's some fun to be had there. Some interesting problem stuff. is that there's too there's too much fun. Yeah, um, yeah, dude. Um, just thinking about this like as a as a last thing. So doing these dailies and like kind of letting the dailies roll into like deep dives. What I'm realizing is. My, I know my focus will change. Like I'm getting a, a timeline of an of of hyper focus on a subject, and it can range from like a week to probably like a few years. Right? I'm starting to do it almost like a puzzle. So mm. Fusion 360 right now is kind of the hyper focus, but it's also the main focus around learning. Like I knew mm. this was the number one thing that I wanted to learn. 
when I get to a point with Fusion 360 where I don't feel like I am actively having to still learn, I'm just going to slide something else into that spot. Yeah. yeah. The consistency, I think coming into the end of the year, this stuff is like really clear and focused, but like consistency over long timelines is is like where you are successful. Yeah, that's for sure. So, I don't know. It's fun. Thanks for the help with Fusion 360, dude. That uh, <laughs> yeah. it would I would not be where I am today without you and that course. Oh, thank you. Yep. I appreciate that. Yeah. You want to wrap it? Let's do it. Yeah. Cool. That was a good one. Um, we got wound up there towards the end. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. And if you guys are listening to this, Merry Christmas. Merry Happy Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy holidays, all the good stuff. We'll probably say that again. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know exactly when episodes are going to launch. And so I thought I'd just be preemptive. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Uh, guys, thanks for listening. Um, if you want to support the pod, if you're getting some value out of this, check out our Patreon. Yeah. Uh, leave us a review. Yeah. Five star would be preferable to one star. Yeah. Would things good. Five is good. Five is good. <laughs> just do that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> See you guys. Peace.